Well, everybody, I'm so happy you're here. I love it. Thanks for coming to church. Um, we are starting a new series. We'll get into that in just a moment. But I want to, would you take a moment and join me in praying for our nation? I think we'd be remiss if on the 15th anniversary of 9-11, we wouldn't just take a moment and pray for our nation. I know um, we don't live in a perfect nation, but I am sure grateful for um, the way we get to live our lives. And I believe that God is in control, even political life, believe it or not. Don't forget that. As November approaches, God is bigger, okay? But would you join me? Let's take a moment. Let's just pray for our nation. God, we come before you, and, and we know that in the Old Testament, it says, if my people who are called according to my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I would hear from heaven and I would heal their land. God, that's what we do. We admit that we as a nation are not perfect and sometimes we have ambitions and goals that are contrary to what you would want. So Lord, what we do is we present ourselves, we humble ourselves. Lord, we know that you are the ultimate authority. We're told to pray for those in authority over us. So we do, we pray that for, from a, a local to a state to a uh, federal level that you would give wisdom to our leaders, that they would lead according to your statutes. Lord, we pray that you would heal the rifts in our nation. We pray that you, Lord, would do things that would bring about restoration and wholeness. And Lord, there would be communities, little towns, metropolises, Lord, that would honor you. We follow you. You're our king. You have control. In your name, amen. Amen. So this new series, you know, uh, the origins of this probably came, oh, I guess this would be about 25 years ago, no, 23 years ago, when I first met my wife's grandfather, who had played a very influential role in her life helping to raise her. And uh, he heard that I was a Bible college student and... Uh, he was a really smart guy. He was a chemical engineer. And he looked at me. He just, he wanted to challenge me. You know, he's trying to see who is this guy, what's he made of. And so he said, what's your favorite scripture? And I don't even remember what I said, but I told him, he goes, you know what mine is? I said, no. He said, my favorite scripture is God helps those who help themselves. And I was thinking, well, I know I've heard that phrase around a lot, but like, I don't actually think that's in the Bible at all. And I looked at him and I go, well, sir, I, I actually don't believe that's in the Bible. He goes, yes, it is. I've been quoting it for 50 years. <laughs> I thought, man, maybe am I missing it? So I actually went home and I'm like, I, 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 I go through everything I can find. I'm like, that's not in the scripture. So I came back. And, you know, it's never a good idea to get, you know, in a, an argument with somebody who's going to be your grandfather-in-law. Um, so I did tell him, I go, you know, I checked. It's not in the Bible. He goes, Yes, it is, and it's true. So that phrase, God helps those who help themselves, does it have some basis in truth? I mean, are we told to be responsible? Absolutely. But I think there are certain things that we attribute to God, these expectations, and they're more cultural than they are biblical. And so we expect God to live up to these expectations. And I think at times he's saying, I never said that. You can't hold me to that because I didn't actually say that. You guys created that. You took some partial truths and threw them together, and that's not what I said. And here's the one I'd like to look at this week. It has to do with, 
with happiness. And I know you're, you're thinking, what? I want to be happy. But I think there's this belief that God always wants me to be happy. Now, there's truth to that. I, I, if God is really a loving father, like this Bible says, he wants us to be happy. I've never, I've never like sent my kids out the door in the morning and said, boy, I hope you have a miserable day. <laughs> you know, I hope it all goes wrong. I hope people gossip about you and call you names. No, I want my kid, I want every day to be a wonderful day. But, but I don't want happiness to be their primary goal. And I don't think God wants happiness to be our primary goal. And we live in a culture, just think about it for a moment. We live in a culture where happiness is one of our highest attainments. If you could just be happy, we're all looking to be happy. So nearly every commercial you see, if you bought this Jaguar, you would be so happy and you'd become beautiful or handsome because only beautiful people drive these cars, right? So if you got in there, it's going to change everything. If, if you drank more of this beer, you'd be so happy and you'd have all these attractive friends too, right? There's no realistic looking people in beer commercials. If you, went through, if you went through a bookstore, I mean, how big would the section be on finding personal happiness and contentment? If you're checking out the grocery store, there'd be magazines about it being the happiest year of your life and how to be you know, happy all the time and experience happiness in your relationships. We have this pursuit of happiness and I think that at times we misunderstand what God actually wants for us. So I'd like to take a little bit of time. And I know it starts off like, oh, great, I went to church today. And uh, somebody asked you this afternoon what the pastor said. And you said, he, that God doesn't want me to be happy. <laughs> I know it sounds terrible. But let's at least challenge this cultural assumption that what we need more than anything else is happiness. Because I think that's false. There's something deeper and there's something more beautiful that God wants for us than just fleeting happiness. So, first of all, let's look at some confusion regarding happiness. Some confusion regarding happiness. Number one, there's this thought. Whatever makes me happy must be good. This thing that I'm doing makes me feel happiness. And this is a happiness that's just based on emotion, right? So if I do more of this thing, it makes me happy. Therefore, it must be good. But are there things in life that you can do that will make you temporarily happy but are not necessarily good? Everybody in the room is, yeah, I've, I've been there. I did that. I thought, that felt so good. It must be a right thing. I'm, I'm so happy. And if I live my life pursuing things that make me feel good, that make me happy, I will be on this endless it's just a saga of trying to find one experience after another that will fill my happiness. I'm looking for happiness in this relationship, in that event, in this experience, in that person. But just because it makes me happy doesn't mean it's good. Here's a second misunderstanding about happiness. That whatever takes away my happiness must be bad. So if I'm, I'm involved in something and it takes away my happiness, I'm not feeling all, you know, beautiful inside, that, boy, that must be a bad thing, so I need to get away from that. No, 
okay, th- this book, and I know there's some of you, you're just beginning your spiritual journey and you really haven't read it and it's a bit confusing. I understand that. Um, we, we have ways to help you get into this. Others of you have been students of this book. I've got people in this room who read through the Bible every year and they've been doing it for decades. If, you've, if you're familiar with this book and if you're not, I, I will tell you there are so many stories in this book about people who go through difficult times. I wish I could say this was a book that was just about happy. Read the book of Judges sometime. Come away like, oh. I've I've never, 20 some years of being a pastor, I've never preached a series out of the book of Judges because it's just like depressing. A book called Lamentations. What is Lamentations? It's like, oh. It's like Eeyore was the author of Lamentations. I'm like, whoa. Why? Because this is real life, all right? And it's not all about happiness, but there are stories of the most beautiful things, of people experiencing life and resurrection and hope and reconciliation in their lives, renewal and forgiveness. So there are plenty of happy things, but it also deals with this fact that not everything in life is happy. And how do I do? How do I deal with that? Here's the third misunderstanding about happiness. We, des- we believe that we deserve happiness. I, I, I fall prey to this one all the time. I think most of us do. And I, having some exposure to traveling the world, um, dealing with different cultures, we are fairly unique in this one. Other parts of the world, especially parts that are third world or emerging from the third world where um, infant mortality, where hunger, where poverty are a reality, people don't necessarily expect that they should always be happy. But we live in a world where things are so abundant. Um, there, there, there's food. There's, there's ways to get by, even when times are very difficult, that we believe we actually deserve happiness. And when we're not happy, we feel like we're being ripped off. When we're not happy, here's what we do, and this is unique. We look to God and say, what is wrong with you? If I believe that I deserve happiness, it's my right to be happy. One of the things that I will be susceptible to is I will make a God of all the things that bring me happiness. I'll pursue bigger, fancier, shinier, new things all the time because I deserve happiness. And those are the things that I think give me happiness. Cultural assumption, we deserve happiness. And then lastly, we believe that there's some sort of formula to happiness. There's a formula to happiness um, that here's what we need to do. In order to be happy, I need to take all the negative people out of my life. (laughs) Uh, I I need to add um, new and more things. I need to have terrific experiences. And if I could get all those lined up, then I'd be happy. And so we think of it as if I could just attain, if I add this one more thing to my life, I'll be happy. The problem with that is that is always dependent on circumstances. It's dependent upon happenings and life changes. And so if I believe there's a formula for happiness, I'm always trying to plug in something new to make me happy because unfortunately my ultimate goal might be I just want to be happy. So I'm adding this, I'm getting rid of this person. I need, if I had this job plus this house plus this car plus these friends, then I'd be happy. 
and the formula never works out. Because there are a whole bunch of people in life who have all the things that we think would make them happy and they end up over here and it doesn't, doesn't equate. I'm still unhappy. And I thought I worked out the perfect formula. And so there are people in our world, some of the time it's us, is we are constantly trying to get the right formula so at the end I'll be happy. But happiness doesn't come about that way. So what do we do with this? I'm going to give you some, uh, some bad news. I'm going to give you two instances when I know God does not want us to be happy. Are you ready? <laughs> there are times when God does not want us to be happy. I'm going to give you two instances. Number one, God does not want me to be happy when my pursuit of happiness causes me to sin. When my pursuit of happiness causes me to sin. Now, what is the word sin? We, we really believe that the Bible says what God wants is for you to be fully human. He wants me to be fully human. And he's created some parameters that sometimes our culture thinks are ridiculous, but there's parameters. And God says, if you lived within these parameters, you would be fully happy. You'd be fully human. You would avoid the pain and the difficulty and the, the, the struggles that create friction with other people. So God gives us, it's a big playing field, but he gives us these parameters. And sometimes we think, that happiness is just outside of the parameters. Outside of the parameters, what is that? That's, that's sin. That's a violation of somebody else. That's a violation of God. And when I am going outside of God's parameters to try to pursue happiness, I know God doesn't want me to be happy. He doesn't want me to be happy. It reminds me of the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 11. Here's this young man. He has a very wealthy father. And he is sure that happiness is found out there somewhere. It's out there. Because he can't find happiness at home. So he looks at his dad and he says, Dad, I'm sick and tired of waiting around for you to die. All I want is to get out of here. I want my inheritance. So he demands his inheritance. He says, give it to me now. So the father amazingly gives him his inheritance prematurely. The son goes out and pursuing happiness, he violates relationships. And I, I bet it was thrilling for a while. But eventually, all the friends that his money has bought him, all, all the experiences that the money had bought him, he finds himself out of money and more miserable than ever before. And that's what happens when, I, when, when sin makes me happy. God's saying, that's not what I want for you. Doesn't almost all addiction begin with pursuit of happiness. There's something in me that is miserable, that is hurt, that is broken. And I think this experience with this illicit thing, it makes me happy. And that's when God says, I don't want you to have that kind of happiness. That's temporary and it's fleeting and it's, it's unhealthy. Here's the second time when I know God doesn't want us to be Happy first when it causes me to sin, my pursuit of happiness. But secondly, when I am in the midst of correction. When I am in the midst of correction, God doesn't want me to be happy. Now, we are, uh, our youngest child of four is 12. And so we're kind of, you know, we're in a different stage. You know, it's, one of the greatest days of my life is when I said to everybody, go to the bathroom, put on your shoes and get in the car. And they were all able to do it. 
It was just fantastic. That was the day I sold the minivan. <laughs> they all did it. So, you know, it's a little different stage. Um, and believe it or not, like I have, Jane and I have four wonderful kids. We love them so much. But, and you're going to be shocked by this, but there have been times when they've needed to be corrected. Just on occasion. And none of my children, when we've needed to correct something in their life, have ever looked at me at the end of this corrective period and said, gee, Dad, thanks. I really needed that. You helped me understand. That was fantastic. Thank you for that correction. Never, not once. Um, and, you know, I don't know, a few decades of managing people. When you sit down for a review with somebody who's, they're just struggling, and you just lay out, boy, this needs to change. Nobody's ever looked at me and said, thank you. I've wondered how to be a better employee. That was fantastic. When I'm corrected, I'm not happy. It's just a reality. There's a passage in Hebrews that talks about God correcting us and what that does in our lives. Let's read that together. This is from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. God is educating you. That word educating could also, be you, uh, could also be translated correcting. God is correcting or educating you. That's why you must never drop out. Don't quit. There are times when God is trying to do something in your life and we just want to say, I don't want any more of that. This is hard. This is difficult. He says, don't drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment. It's, in fact, training. This correction, it isn't punishment, it's training the normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God who just left you to fend for yourself? Is that what you want? A God who never stepped in, a God who never corrected. We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us. So why not embrace God's training, his correction, so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. But God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely, for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. The people who are receiving this book of Hebrews, they're on the cusp. The Roman government isn't looking favorably upon this new Christian church. And there's going to be some pressure. Some of them are going to lose their ability to participate in the financial world. Some of them are going to be pushed to the sides of society. Some of them are actually going to lose their lives. And the writer of Hebrews steps in and he says, listen, I get it. It's not always easy. But in these hard times, it's not punishment. It's God who's coming in and he is correcting us. And that's never easy, but there's a good result to correction. And so God, because he loves us, sometimes we put this on God. We think, well, if God loved me, if he really loved me, I wouldn't be going through this. Think about it for a moment. Anytime you've gone through something painful, difficult, You've asked yourself, we all do, well, if God really loved me, he wouldn't let this happen to me. But Hebrews says this, no, because God loves us, he allows us to be corrected. 
Because he wants something better for us. He's not an irresponsible God. One of my boys, he was probably four years old. It was Christmas time, and it was before he could write. So he drew me a picture of what he wanted for Christmas. And I I, I love this picture. I, I kept it somewhere. It was a little stick figure of him sitting on a four-wheeler, and in his right hand he was holding a machine gun, and his left hand he was holding a bazooka over his shoulder. Like this. <laughs> and he came to me and goes, Dad, I only want four things. No, three things for Christmas. I want a four-wheeler, a machine gun, and a bazooka. <laughs> and you know what I did? I bought them for him. I found an illegal arms dealer. And I said, hey, here's what I need. And I looked at the arms dealer, and he said, who is this for? And I said, it's none of your business. And that Christmas morning, when I pulled into the living room on that four-wheeler with a bazooka mounted here and a machine gun mounted here, Jenny, my wife, looked at me, and she said, what are you doing? And I looked at her, and I said, all I want is for my son to be happy. I wanted him to be so happy. No, I didn't do that. Are you kidding? Like, why? who's going to give a four-year-old a bazooka and a machine gun? That's ridiculous, let alone a four-wheeler. See, sometimes we think that God, if God, all he wants is for me to be happy. He'll give me whatever I want. He'll take away all the challenges, all the difficulty. But there is a loving God who says, you know what, there are certain things that are not healthy for you, and I'm going to allow you to go through discipline. And in the midst of that discipline, you won't be happy. But it is because I love you. If you grew up in an environment where you were abused, where discipline wasn't for your own good, but it was vengeance, it was an angry parent, this is difficult to accept. But this is a loving, perfect God who loves you so much that he doesn't want you to do things that are self-destructive. And so he steps in and he says, this is going to be unpleasant, but it's because I honestly love you. I love you so much. I don't want you to self-destruct. I love you so much. I don't want you to hurt the people around you. So sometimes I am unhappy. I'm unhappy because God is lovingly changing me. It happened to me just a couple of weeks ago. I had a conversation with someone and, um, I walked away from the conversation. I thought, that was strong leadership, Nate. You just said it how it needed to be said. Well done. That night I'm laying in bed. And the Lord just disciplined me. You know, it was like, I was laying there and I was thinking, wow, what a great job I did today leading. And I felt like the Lord said, are you kidding me? You said what you said for your own good, and it was, it was about your own arrogance, and you were trying to be dominant, and that's not what I wanted to do in that person's life. Yes, you identified a problem, but that's not how I wanted it to be done. I laid there, and you're just like, no, 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 Lord, come on, just let's do it my way. And the Lord, just discipline me. You know, the bummer with discipline is I had to go in the next day, and I had to talk to that person. I had to apologize. Why did God do that? Because he loves me. He's not going to let me be a jerk. And if I'm open to it, I'll be unhappy. I had an unhappy night. I had an unhappy experience apologizing to that person. Anybody just love apologizing? Listen, I'm so sorry. I look, no, I was like, I'm so, I'm so sorry. 
Sometimes I won't be happy. It's when my pursuit of happiness leads me to sin, when I'm in the midst of correction. I, I won't be happy, and God's fine with that. He's fine with me not being happy then. So let's look at maybe a better understanding of what happiness is, or is there something even more than happiness out there? I want to read two passages of Scripture, um, one from the book of 2 Corinthians and one from Hebrews. And both of them are going to speak to us about a better understanding, God's perspective on joy, on happiness, on blessing. Those are, those are the things that are really important. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This is a group of people who are also, they live in Corinth, a very, very, uh, it is a happening city. I mean, it, it is deeply religious, but it is, it is a deeply, the religion is deeply connected to their sexuality. It is a wild place. It was kind of like the Vegas of the New Testament world, okay? This is, what, this is what Paul says as he writes to them. Don't put it off. Don't frustrate God's work by showing up late, throwing a question mark over everything we're doing. Our work as God's servants gets validated or not in the details. People are watching us as we stay at our posts, alertly, unswervingly, in hard times, tough times, bad times, when we're beaten up, jailed, and mobbed, working hard, working late, working without eating, with pure heart, clear head, steady hand, in gentleness, holiness, and honest love, when we're telling the truth and when God's showing up, showing his power, when we're doing our best setting things right, when we're praised and when we're blamed, slandered and honored, true to our word, though distrusted, ignored by the world, but recognized by God, terrifically alive, though rumored to be dead, beaten within an inch of our lives, but refusing to die, immersed in tears, yet always filled with deep joy. Think of the paradox there. Immersed in tears, yet always filled with deep joy. Living on handouts, yet enriching many. Having nothing, having it all. He's talking to them about living life in an imperfect world, where difficult things happen. And let's read Hebrews. This is a passage that has to do with heroes of the faith. Just before this, the author is going to go through people from the Old Testament, the books that were all written before the arrival of Jesus, who went through unbelievable challenges, difficulties, but they thrived in the midst of it. And this, this is his comments on those people. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. Each one of those people, these people of faith, died, not yet having in hand what was promised. They never had their fulfillment. They never had total happiness. It didn't happen. But still believing. And how did they do it? They saw it way off in the distance. Waved their greeting and accepted the fact that they were transients in this world. Notice that word. They're transients in this world. This place was just temporary. People who live this way make it plain that they are looking for their true home. If they were homesick for the old country, they could have gone back anytime they wanted. But they were after a far better country than that, heaven country. You can see why God is so proud of them and has a city waiting for them. Here's just a few thoughts. Think of those scriptures. Think of the realities of the, of the lives, uh, the realities that these people are facing. And Let's take a different look at happiness and joy. Number one, you have to realize, especially from that 1 Corinthians passage, that holiness 
and not happiness is God's goal for my life. Holiness, not happiness, is God's goal for my life. See, happiness isn't what he wants more than anything else. What he wants is for me to be made whole. You can think of the word holiness in a few different ways. One is imagine your life and imagine there's just gaps and broken pieces, things that have been shattered from family of origin things to mistakes I've made to my deep selfishness to my rebellion. And what God is doing is he wants to make those whole. He's healing those up. Holiness is also this idea that I look more like God and less like Nate, that my responses are more like God's responses and less like my internal instincts would, would, would dominate. It just wouldn't be there. So what God wants is his biggest concern for you, his biggest concern for me is to be holy, is to be changed and morphed to look more like him. He wants that more than happiness in my life. For my kids, I want them to be happy, but more than that, I want them to have character and integrity and to be like God for everybody in this room. Oh, I, I love this to be the best week of your life and the best year of your life and the best decade of your life and for you to just be happy, happy, happy. But more than that, don't we want to be more like God? There's a misunderstanding in our world about this whole happiness and holiness I think we often think that marriage, and I know we've got a room, there are people who are married or who have been married and some who want to get married one day. Some who are like, I never want to be married again. I get that. But we think this. We think that marriage is designed to bring me happiness. That's what we believe. We believe that we're kind of, you know, many people believe I'm just I'm kind of a lonely soul until I find that one person, my soulmate, and then they'll make me happy, 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 happy. I've done a few hundred weddings. Every couple, I mean, it, it's ridiculous. They're just smitten and they're sure that this person is going to make them happy for the rest of their lives. And what they don't realize is that is a parasitic perspective on marriage. Anybody love parasites? You got, you got some tapeworms at home in the aquarium? Get them out, play with them? No. Here's a per parasitic perspective on marriage is that I am going to look to you and you are going to make me happy. That's your job in life. When in reality, when in reality, some of you who have gone through difficult marriages, you realize that what God's goal was in marriage is for me to be more holy. And so if you are married, just look at that person next to you and go, I am a tremendous gift to you. I am just a tremendous gift. I am here to make you holy. All my quirks that drive you nuts are a gift from God. Because they're going to make you more patient and more loving and more forgiving. And after being married to me, you're going to be a better person. Not necessarily happier. But you will be a better person. No, I, I think a healthy marriage, you will be happy, but not always. Because it's, what's the goal? The goal is that I be more like God. And so, you know, 
God knew that Jenny needed to be changed. And so she said, you know, I got this piece of work over here and I'll, 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 I'll let them meet in seventh grade earth science. And man, he will transform that girl over the next 40, 50 years. Like she's going to be really something after he's done with her. That's God's heart. So it's about holiness and that's, that's the same in life. Same in life. Here's the second thought on a better understanding God's perspective on happiness. Understand that discomfort and difficulty, which we could call unhappiness, lead to growth in my character, which is holiness. Discomfort and difficulty lead to growth in my life. I just want to ask you a really difficult question. I actually didn't do this last night because it's a hard question. I want to ask you this. How happy was Jesus? I I don't really know. What What if Jesus had come to earth and instead of those last three years of his life, he kept talking about sacrifice. He kept talking about the fact that I'm going to go through something and you guys aren't going to believe that this could happen. What if Jesus came to earth and and during his ministry he said, you know guys, I came to be happy. Where's the next party? Life is about happy. I'm here to really, I I get one shot. I've been stuck in heaven. I want to come down I just want to experience like human happiness. I am so grateful that happiness wasn't Jesus's highest goal but obedience and holiness were. He came to earth to embrace a cross, to die a horrific death. Why? Because it wasn't about happiness for him. It was about healing what was broken. There's something that happens in the difficult times of my life. I find this, I don't know if this is true for you, but I suspect it is. I rarely make significant changes in my life when I'm really happy. When life is really good, I don't grow a lot. But when life is hard, that's when I change because I have to. And that's what God is about. Here's the third thing about God's perspective on happiness. Happiness is paradoxical. It's paradoxical. It is often found in giving and not in taking. We believe, remember that happiness formula? If I could just keep adding things to my life, I'd be happy. Here's what the Bible says. Jesus says these bizarre things. He says, you won't find your life until you give your life. He says, the greatest among you is the one who serves everyone else. See, the assumption is, by taking, I become happy. But the Bible, over and over, Matthew chapter 5 says, those who are really blessed are those who are poor in spirit, those who are humble and meek. And so it's funny, it's unnatural, but sometimes where you find the greatest happiness is in sacrifice. It's in giving. It's not in taking. A Bible over and over shows us that. It's reversal of what we think is the norm. And then fourthly, God's perspective on happiness. The Bible speaks far more about being blessed than about being happy. There are these two words. There's this word joy and the word blessing. And they're far more common in the Bible than the word happiness. What is blessed? Makarios. 
This is what blessing is. This is how it's different than happiness. This is what joy would be the same. The teaching on happiness, the understanding is that if everything just aligned and was perfect, then I'd be happy. I just got to get rid of all the bad things. I got to get more of the good things. But, but here's, here's what the Bible seems to say about true happiness. It's what we read in Hebrews. It's people who look, you know what? I'm a transient here. This isn't my real home. Where I'm looking and what I'm hoping for, where I'll find ultimate happiness is in that next life. It's just over the horizon. And so when things are difficult here, I'm looking that way. And here's what God does. He blesses you even when the situation is difficult. This is why I want blessing. And this is why I want joy more than I want happiness. Because happiness is circumstantial. It's circumstantial. It can disappear like that. But blessing stays. So let's create a scenario. Um, You're in a very difficult place right now. Okay, imagine this. Uh, You start a business. It's failing. It's not doing well. It's creating stress. Your relationships are souring because you're always stressed. You feel like you're barely holding on and you want to be happy. You want to be happy. Listen, a lot's going to need to change for you to be happy. But what if you said, God, I need blessing right now. I must submit to you. I'm going to go through this. And here's what blessing is, is your situation doesn't change, but God blesses you with peace and with joy. And it's still chaotic. The finances are still horrific. The stress is still significant. But God blesses you. It's not about my circumstances changing. It's about God giving me something in the midst of my circumstances, and that is a gift of joy, it is a gift of peace. All of those things are blessing. And when I'm blessed, I can walk through the hard things in life. Because I'm not seeking happiness, I'm seeking holiness. And so God, oh yeah, this is tough, but I've got peace. I've been blessed by you. I just want to end by mentioning a friend. This guy just contacted me, and for 14 years of my life, he was very involved. He lives in Eugene, Oregon still. Wow. His name is Joe Basie. I met Joe when he was 18. Joe has um, cerebral palsy. The right side of his body does not function quite right. But this guy has worked so hard. And there are so many things in his life that could make him unhappy. If he was looking for the perfect body and the most clear speech and the ability to run, um, saying, I'll be happy when those things happen, he'd never never get there, barring a miracle. Joe is one of the most joyful people I've ever met in my life. He's loved by people. People love him. I watched him work through getting a bachelor's degree, getting a master's degree, and now as a career, he's involved in disability services, and he helps people who are facing difficult physical challenges thrive. And when I look at him, and sometimes I think, oh, if this was different with me, then I'd be really happy. I realize, no, 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 no. That's not what life is about. Joe Basie has found something else. 
He's found that it's not about having the right situation in life. He's not pursuing happiness. He's pursuing, God, I just want to do what you want me to do, and you're going to bless me. And there are questions about my life, and there are questions about why I struggle with these things. But I'm going to honor you, and I'm going to work through life. And when I look at him, I think, that's what we want in life. Not to take away all the bad and just have everything shiny and butterflies flitting around. No. Our goal in life isn't happiness. It's to be holy and to be blessed in the midst of it all. To trust him, to follow him, to have my eyes on a far off country. How are you going to get through the hard times? You know what? This world is not my permanent home. I'm going to get through this place. I'm going to be blessed. And one day, I don't have time to read it. It's in your notes if you're on the, the U version. Revelation 21. One day, this, God's ultimate plan for your life is this. Ultimately, he wants you to be so happy. But this world's a little too broken. And we're a little too broken to be always happy. But one day, God's going to wipe every tear away. He's going to restore all things. He is going to say this, Revelation 21. Behold, I make all things new. One day, he'll make everything perfect. But until then, we'll keep walking with him. Will you pray with me? Lord, forgive me for the times when I make happiness my highest priority. And I so focus on that. And I just, I want to get rid of certain things and add certain things. I believe there's some formula. Forgive me for the times when my pursuit of happiness leads me to sin. Forgive me for the times when I'm so angry that I'm being corrected. God, instead of having a God of happiness, I want to surrender my life. We surrender our lives to the process of becoming holy, to a God who loves us so much that he's willing to help us grow. Lord, for any of us in the room who are looking to a human being or a career or finances to make us happy, Lord, forgive us. We look to you. Because what we really need is to be blessed. What we really need is joy. Because those things are not circumstantial. You have permission to make us holy. I pray that we'd remember that the goal of this life is not happiness. We have our eyes on a bigger prize where one day everything will be made new. But until then, we ask for peace. We ask for joy. We ask to be blessable so that we can thrive in this life. In your name we pray this. Amen.